We've all heard the saying, learn to love the process. But why learn to love something? Why not create a process that is easy to love? Welcome to Peace with the Process, where I bring you professionals who specialize in the processes we incorporate to sustain consistent, healthy growth. I believe in learning from others' mistakes and successes. So I also bring on entrepreneurs who have been in the trenches and tell us how they got there and how they got out. I hope you find something in today's episode that you can apply to your own life and that you find your peace with the process along the way. Let's get started. Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Peace with the Process. So glad to have you listening to the show today. I want to thank you and everyone who has taken time out of their day to write us a rating and review. Some of you have actually sat down and taken a moment to think about how this podcast has impacted your life and put those thoughts and ideas into words and put them on a review Uh, on my podcast. And to me, that is truly heartfelt. I just want you to know how much I really appreciate that. Uh, Thank you so much for being a dedicated listener. Those of you who haven't had a chance to leave a rating or review, uh, just head on over to Apple Podcasts right now. That's the place where I see most of my reviews. Uh, I believe there's a few places that it won't actually let you leave a rating and review. So if you would like to, Apple Podcast is the place to do it. Uh, I sincerely really do appreciate that, you guys. I know several of you have been listening since day one, and that means a lot to me as well here on uh, episode 29. So I'm just genuinely excited to be able to bring to you today's guest because our conversation did not necessarily hit the topic that we intended. And, and and I don't mean that to say that we ended up on a topic that we weren't okay with by any means. You may hear me mention in my conversation with Wayne Mullins today about how I've kind of I've kind of tiptoed on bringing on somebody in the uh, in the marketing industry because there are so many people doing marketing, social media marketing, and, and, and all kinds of things. And this one stuck out to me, obviously because of the name, Ugly Mug Marketing. But then when I opened up their website, there was a lot of things on their website that really stuck out to me as well, which I talk about with my conversation uh, with Wayne. But we actually get off on a topic that I didn't expect to, but it makes total sense as to why his business stood out to me. And it just makes total sense. It's crazy because I'm recording this introduction uh, quite a few days after the initial recording. And I received a thank you card in the mail from Mr. Wayne Mullins. Uh, Wayne, if you're listening, thank you for the heartfelt message on your thank you card. And thank you for the uh, cool stickers. I got some cool stickers and some magnets. These things are really awesome looking. And um, I don't know. it, It just... It shows as to why we got on a completely different topic other than just what what Wayne does with the business, like what their what their core functions are, like what their end result product is. 
and why we got so caught up on conversation of all the groundwork that goes into doing what they do. So I just wanted to point out that distinction so that you can kind of have an understanding of my perspective on the topic, uh, on, on why we veered off of topic. And then I kind of bring us back on a little bit and we get a little bit of insight into marketing there toward the end. So if that's what you came to listen for, then just bear with us until the end of the episode. We go over a few things uh, in regards to marketing. But uh, I want to thank everybody for hopping on today's episode. And if you are looking for more and all things Peace with the Process, head over to peacewiththeprocess.com. And there's a lot of extra things that you can check out in there. We have a resources page. We have a tools page. We've got, uh, obviously, the podcast episodes. But then we've also got some articles that I've written as well. Some things to uh, make you scratch your head and think a little bit deeper. And if you have any feedback or just want to get in contact with me, make sure you reach out with me on my socials, Facebook, Instagram, and all the good things. And I look forward to hearing from you guys. So without further ado, I bring to you Mr. Wayne Mullins. All right, guys, we got Wayne Mullins here today from Ugly Mug Marketing. Wayne, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Blake. Thank you so much for the invite. And I'm excited about our conversation today. I am too. I am too. And and I've got to be Uh, completely forward with you. I typically, I have held back from inviting a guest on the show whose uh, career is in marketing because there are so many people out there who are getting into uh, social media marketing and are calling themselves social media marketers. But I took a look at what you have going on at Ugly Mug Marketing and the name itself, obviously, big, big attention catcher. You know, why would why would somebody call themselves Ugly Mug Marketing? And I, I check out your website. I see the why. I'll let you tell it. Um, but there was there was more in there as well as to why I decided to reach out to you and get your take on on the industry. But before we dive into all the the whys of what it currently is, tell us a little bit about why you ended up in marketing as your career. Yeah, absolutely, Blake. So my journey actually began my junior year of college. Um, My parents, for whatever reason, decided to give me some CDs by this uh, man by the name of Zig Ziglar. I don't know why they gave me those CDs, but they did. And um, so the CDs were on selling. So I started listening to these CDs and Zig Ziglar did a phenomenal job of not necessarily teaching me how to sell, but selling me on the profession of selling. So I decided I had to go into selling. Um, so graduated from school, my, my degree was actually in business and in marketing, but I wanted to go in sales. So I spent about three years in sales. And you know, like so many people, Blake, when we first begin something, we're often very terrible at it, right? We, we go in with all these big ambitions that we're gonna be great and that things are gonna be this kind of, uh, you know, the green grass on the other side of the fence, so to speak. And I was terrible, you know, I was absolutely terrible, but I was also stubborn. And in this case, my stubbornness actually um, played to my advantage. So I kept learning, kept growing and kept uh, really, really trying to, to be better at a sales, in a sales role. Um, as a result of that, I started looking at the revenue that I was generating for this company I was working for. And I, I noticed this trend that the amount of money that I was generating for this company kept growing and growing and growing. And my paycheck, although it was growing, it wasn't growing in proportion to the amount of money I was making for them. So, you know, this dangerous thought pops in my head, hey, what if I actually did something for myself, started selling something for myself and generated this revenue for myself? And out of that one little 
seed of thought or seed of idea um, kind of took me down an entirely different path. So I was doing well in that job. It was a corporate sales job, eight to five, Monday through Friday, lots of great benefits. And, you know, when I, when I decided to kind of pursue my own path, I said, well, let me sit down and figure out what are the actual skills, what skills, what abilities do I have that I could actually bring to the marketplace? What could I actually provide to the marketplace that they may want? What could I sell? And I don't know about for you or for some of your listeners, but for me at that time, my list was very short. On the list, it said lawn care. That was the, the extent of my skills and abilities that I had outside of selling. So much to the dismay of my parents, much to the dismay of some of my friends, I decided to leave this great corporate job and jump into lawn care. I started that company from scratch. Over the course of three years, grew that company to a very large size um, and ended up selling that company. But here's where the marketing comes in. So as a result of growing that company so, so quickly, I started having a lot of our actual lawn care customers come to me and say, hey, what are you doing? How are you growing your company at this scale, at this, at this uh, rate? And so I started advising them, started consulting with various people on their marketing. What are they doing from a marketing perspective? And as they say, and the rest is history. That's that was the beginning days of ugly mug marketing. That's awesome. Yeah, we never know what that starting moment is going to be. And for you, it was it was lawn care, something that's had nothing to do with marketing. Well, I say it has nothing to do with marketing. That's not true. You have to market your business in the lawn care industry, but something that that was a, that was only a portion of what you probably had to do. You had to manage employees. You had to uh, do scheduling. You had to to make sure all these other pieces of the puzzle worked together to keep a business operating. And the one thing that you latched onto was the marketing portion of it, or that others latched onto actually, because that's also a trend that I've noticed, which is when you start putting out what you do and what you're interested in doing, people grab on to what it is that you do best. And that ends up being what you're most passionate about in, in most cases. No, I absolutely agree with that. Um, you know, what's, what's interesting is what rose to the top of that, like you just said, was the skills, the abilities, the desire, the passion for the marketing side of things. That's kind of what rose to the, to the surface. And that is the thing that other people started picking up on and, and noticing. Um, one thing I, I would say about that. So, you know, in hindsight, you know, the rear view mirror is always or, or very often cleaner than the windshield, right? So when we look backwards, things look very clear. They look very linear. Like, you know, it all makes sense looking backwards. When we're in those moments, though, looking forward through the windshield, the windshield's often dirty. There's a million different options, a million different choices. And we struggle to figure out, do I take this chance? Do I not take this chance? And one of the things kind of that I've learned over the years is there's a big difference between taking risk and being reckless. So, you know, for some people, when I left that corporate job, and started from scratch a lawn and landscape company, that to a lot of people look like a huge risk. Like, you know, what if it doesn't work? What if you fail? All these things. Um, they assumed that I was being reckless by giving up this, this corporate path, right? But I knew the situation. I knew what the true downsides were, right? So at the time when I did that, I was married, no kids, you know, very little in the way of debt, um, so there was very little downside 
it wasn't that I was being reckless. I was taking a very calculated risk. And I think that's a subtle distinction that is so, so important when we're making these decisions. It's to, it's to really think through, is this just a risk? Am I afraid to do this because it's a risk? Or is there something else inside of me that's saying, no, this is reckless. Let's, let's run from this. Let's, let's avoid this situation. Right. Absolutely. It's funny you bring that up. I'm actually working on an article where I talk a little bit about the need to take risk. And part of what I, I actually mentioned in there is that I believe your, your brain is always trying to bring you back to a place of comfort. That, that, that's kind of what it's designed to do. It's designed to keep you in this place of, of comfort and safety. And that is typically going to be the default. We have to push ourselves outside of that default to experience what the next level of comfort can actually look like or what the next level of, uh, of safety or security can actually look like when you have grown in your knowledge and your experiences and your expertise in those areas. I agree with that. Absolutely. That's really great. So then getting into ugly mug marketing, it's a very interesting name. Why ugly mug marketing? Why was that the name choice? Yeah. So there's actually a story behind the name and I'll share that, but I just want to step backwards one step on something you just said about kind of our comfort zone and getting out of our comfort zone. Mm. So that is so important and so true. And, and when I look back over my life, I've been very intentional about getting out of my comfort zone. And one of the very simple ways that I do that, even to this day, that I, I try to force myself out of my comfort zone is, you know, we all get in these habits or patterns. An example would be the way you drive to your office or the way you drive home or the way you drive to the grocery store. Our brains put us on autopilot, right? And we just get in the car and we arrive at the place we're going. And so I will now intentionally take different routes just to force myself out of my own patterns, out of my own habits. And it's not just so much about like, oh, I'm going a different route. I'm trying something different. But it's the conscious thought of I am doing something different intentionally. I am leaving this little tiny comfort zone intentionally because I think in so many ways, our comfort zone or our, our brain and our body's desire and, and need to stay in that is kind of like a muscle. We can stretch that. We can learn to push beyond that. So sorry, had to jump back because it's so true. It, you know, and looking back, I see that. No, you're fine. I actually want to tag on to that because we had another guest who came on the show who um, he, he talked a lot about his struggle with OCD and his and his situation that he had with OCD. And he actually would use a similar practice as you where he talked about, but his perspective on it was basically taking over control of that uh, of that condition. So if you, if, you're, if your brain operates on one pathway of things, basically saying, hey, I like patterns, your, your brain says, I like patterns, this is how I like things. And I don't like it when you when you interrupt this pattern. Well, most of us have that, but some people, people with OCD have that on a much magnified, much more magnified level. So then what he said he would do is he would take something out of his normal daily routine and he would screw up the pattern intentionally. Uh, I think his example he gave us was when he's doing deodorant, he eight strokes on the left one, and then he'd go nine, 10 on the right one and close his armpits up real fast just to, to show that he, he could take claim of his own I'm not going to call it recklessness, but of his own path. You don't have to stay on the path that your brain defaults back to, the, the comfort path uh, that your brain wants to keep you on. You can have control over that part of your brain and make the decision to veer off when you decide to veer off. And it works, I think, in both ways, 
not just with uh, a magnifying condition like OCD, but with just the, uh, the concept of realizing that you have control you don't have to have yourself set on autopilot. I like that. Yeah, no, I love that story. Thanks for sharing that because it, it's so true. It's so true. We get in these habits, you know, with ourselves and often, you know, today turns into tomorrow, turns into the next day. And we're just living kind of drifting through this life instead of being intentional about where we want to go and what we want to do. So, you know, thank you for sharing that. <laughs> I guess I'll jump all the way back to your original question that I derailed, which is the name, where did, where did ugly mug marketing come from? Um, so the name actually comes from this gentleman of the name, David Ogilvy. Um, David Ogilvy came over, I think from Ireland back in the fifties, he lands over here in, in the United States and his background was in marketing and he set out to build an ad agency. And over the course of about a 15 year period, he built the world's largest ad agency, Ogilvy and Mather, um, for a long time was the largest in the world. They're still in the top 10. So they've got, you know, top 10 ad agencies in the world. But David had a quote that he was known for saying throughout his office. And the quote was simply this, I would rather an ad that is ugly, that gets results, than one that is beautiful, that doesn't. And so the name Ugly Mug Marketing really is just almost kind of a tribute to that, that idea or to that belief that we should always pursue the results we're after, not create something beautiful for the sake of something beautiful. And when people hear that, they say, yeah, that's, that's very obvious. But for people who aren't in this industry, what they don't realize is so much of what's driven or what drives people in this industry is the desire to win awards, right? So they want to win best design, best commercial, best this, best that. Because in this industry, we're, we're typically highly creative. We have unique skills and abilities, and we want to showcase those things to the world. And for so many of us, we get into this trap of trying to win the next award to validate our worth, so to speak. And I don't, I don't mean to downplay that, but our name really centers us back on the belief that it doesn't matter how beautiful it is. If it doesn't get results, it's not that beautiful. No, I love that. And it's, it's a, it's a, I think it's a humbling way to bring to light something that I had, I had no idea that marketing agencies and, and, and the industry strives on getting those recognitions, you know, that, that that's even something that there's an alternative that there's a, well, let me put it this way, that there's a possible alternative for some of the marketing agencies that they, that they may be a bit more, I didn't, I guess the way that I'm trying to say it is I didn't realize that a marketing agency could be self-centered because you think marketing agency, the sole job is to market the customer. It's to get them and to help them be the best person they can be, which is today more than any other time period uh, that we've experienced is actually probably the foundation that everyone teaches, everyone talks about as being your core for developing a functional business, no matter who you are which is making sure that your customer uh, succeeds, making sure that your customer uh, receives the best service. It's not, it's not, there's not as much emphasis on, okay, make sure that, that you are well-groomed, make sure that you are well-structured, make sure that you are, there's actually more emphasis in today's world that we're seeing on 
the consumer, on the customer and what you do for them rather than what you do as a, as an individual, as an entity, et cetera. Yeah. And I think the shift, at least from my perspective, that shift has come as a result of um, apps and places where people can leave reviews. So there's some interesting data. Um, Bain and company did this study where they interviewed, I forget the exact number, but it was hundreds of, of organizations businesses. And they went to them and said, um, you know, here's, here's kind of some levels of service. Where do you think you fit on this chart? So it was basically, you know, poor service, mediocre service, expected service, superior service. And 80% of the companies said that they believe they provide superior service. So Bain & Company then goes to the customer's of those companies and they survey them asking the same questions. You, you do business with, you buy from this company, how would you rate their service? Only 8% rated them, rated those companies as superior service. And so we have this misalignment in belief and expectation, number one. But the flip side of that, these review apps, Yelp, um, you know, there's, there's a myriad of them, now are making it more transparent right? So the consumer now has a voice, a vocal spot where they can broadcast what they really believe. And look, there's pros and cons. I get both sides of the argument. You know, there's certainly, there's certainly cons because everyone now is their own quote unquote media company, right? They can broadcast to the world. Even if they're crazy, they can broadcast to the world what they believe about your business, your organization. Um, but, but the flip side of that is if you or I believe that we are providing superior service and yet we have a two out of five rating on name the platform, something's misaligned, right? Something's misaligned with our beliefs about the products, the services, the quality that we provide. So I, I just think, you know, while there is a lot of downside to these review sites and a lot of obstacles that come along, they can also serve very well to help us check our own beliefs about the products and services and the level of service that we provide. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very, it's a very humbling market that we live in because, because that perception is now able to be shared with everyone. And I think, so you think of, you know, how, do, how does a company get to a place where they have such a high expectation of themselves and it doesn't align with what their customers experience. How does somebody get to that place? And I think some of the contributing factors are they are in the weeds. They are behind the scenes. They see everything that's going into how to provide the best service that they believe that they possibly can. And when you, when you have that viewpoint, when you see all the cogs moving and you've spent your countless hours oiling the machine and making sure that it does what it's supposed to, it's very hard to not see it as something, you know, of very high quality of, of a very superior uh, viewpoint to at, at the, I guess at the base level to allow their ego to see it that way. And then for us to have that perspective come in from the customer and be able to do that level set and say, that's not the case. That's not the case. So you have this behind the scenes curtains viewpoint and then that own individuals or that own entity's uh, ego as to what that looks like that plays a role in getting them to thinking that they provide something better than what the consumer is actually experiencing. Yeah, I, I can share from personal experience, you know, in the early days of, of ugly mug marketing, 
I did not want to hear what the customer had to say when the project was done because I had poured my heart. I had poured my soul into these projects. I had spent countless hours, often way more than they were paying us to do into these projects. And my ego was so wrapped up in this thing that I had created, whether it's a marketing campaign, whether it was a website, whatever it was, that I couldn't bear the thought of them critiquing it or saying they weren't completely blown away by what we provided. So you're absolutely right that if we're not careful, we can become our own worst enemy. And what, what makes all the difference in the world is, is learning to seek the truth, right? To go after the truth. And analogy I like to use is this, you know, so I'm married, I've been married for almost 19 years now. And, you know, you could ask me, Blake, you could say, you know, how's your marriage going? How, how are things going with your wife, Heather? And I could say, you know, things are great. Everything's wonderful. We're getting along fine. But if you ask that same question to Heather and she said, you know, things are terrible. <laughs> Wayne's working way too much. He's never home etc. So my view would be distorted. So in that question, if you were to ask that question, the person who can make the best judgment call on the quality of my role as the husband in this relationship would not be me, it would be my wife. Mm -hmm. And I think we lose sight of that, you know, especially as it relates to business. Um, we lose sight of the fact exactly what you said that, that we are here to serve we are here to serve, whether that's through the product or through the service that we provide. Um, we're here to serve other people. And the same is true inside the organization. You know, the further up you go, the fewer rights you have, in my opinion, and the more responsibility you have. In other words, the further up you go, I'm giving away more and more of my quote unquote rights as a leader in the organization. But I'm assuming more and more responsibility. My responsibility is now to serve all of those people under me. And again, we just have to, we have to have those people and those processes in place to hold us accountable to the truth about what's really taking place. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to expound on that a little bit more and get some more of your thoughts into the phrase that you use, the higher up you go, the more rights that you actually uh, get rid of. You actually leave behind some of your rights as a leader. So when I hear that, my first thoughts are, as you rise, you are now being exposed to a wider and wider scope of individuals. And with that exposure comes the responsibility, as you said, of being an example. And I think that's kind of what I tie that to whenever you say, you know, giving up some of the rights as a leader, because you think that you would have more authority the higher up you go. And if you think about it in terms of a pyramid, yes, there are technically more people who follow your instruction, but at the same time, there are rights in terms of what you can and can't do so how would I how would I put this into words? So as a as a bare level base employee, not many people look up to you, uh, you know, at least not as many in comparison with someone who might be higher up. You actually have a lot more room for error, and that sounds a little scary, but I think that that's again the humbling realization that a lot of us can come to. You have a a lot less room for error, a lot less room for slack, uh, things like that. Things that we need to make sure that we are cognizant of the people who are looking at us and using us as a, um, as a measuring stick of who maybe they want to help emulate as they grow up. Is that, is that a little bit of what you think about whenever you say that phrase? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's it. So, you know, 
I, I went to school. I, I have my degree in business and, and with the specialization in marketing. And although they didn't directly teach us, what they taught was it's the pyramid, right? The further up the organization you go, you, you finally at some point make it to the top. You're the CEO, the president, whatever the title may be. And then all of these people down below you are there to quote unquote serve you. And I use that term loosely, but that's kind of in the American mindset, I think that's kind of the way we view the corporate world, the business world is, you know, you finally get to the part where everything, quote unquote, gets easier, right? There's a lot of these people under you taking care of all the things. And what I believe to be true is the pyramid needs to be flipped upside down, right? So we, as we move, quote unquote, up the organization, we're actually moving down to the base of the pyramid. Yes, Yes, the responsibilities all rest on our shoulders, right? So mm. flip the pyramid upside down, the responsibilities rest on our shoulders. But the rights, my rights, I have to keep those in check. It goes back to the ego conversation we just had. Um, you know, so, so I'm the founder, I'm the CEO of this company. There's no one here to hold me accountable to show up on time. There's no one here to hold me accountable for leaving every single afternoon whenever I feel like leaving, right? But if I'm going to expect my team to show up on time, I need to show up on time as well, right? And I think as business owners, we, we fall into this kind of grand illusion that what applies to them doesn't apply to us, right? And that is so detrimental. It's so detrimental to building a culture of accountability. It's so detrimental to building a, a culture of trust. And I would challenge people listening to shift your mindset around that, that the further up you go, the more responsibility is going to rest on your shoulders and the more that you're going to be required to serve other people. I like it. I like it a lot. So what are your, what are your thoughts on the same topic for somebody who is founding their own business. So in terms, they're already at the top of the pyramid and they're building everything underneath underneath their own their own feet. They're building everything underneath that own platform or to your imagery that you use, maybe they're doing it maybe they're doing it the right way and they're building it above. You know, they're kind of building it on top of their shoulders. So as they're doing that, somebody who says, "Well, you know, I don't have that many people that actually follow me. What what are some things that maybe I should focus on that is going to help with this?" Yeah, I would, I would start that by saying like the, the most difficult person that you or I have to lead every single day is the person that looks back at us in the mirror. That is the most difficult person to lead. And what I have learned is that as our company has grown, I've had to spend more and more time learning to lead the person in the mirror, much more so than learning to lead other people around me. Because it's the old adage that, you know, when you have kids, the adage is basically kids don't listen to what you say, they watch what you do, right? And the same is true in business. The same exact thing is true. So if I'm telling people we care about our customers and our customers come first and we're here to serve our customers, but then when a customer gets off the phone with me, I start bad-mouthing the customer and talking about what an idiot they are, right? More is caught than is taught. So they pick up on that. They catch that. And so for those that are just starting out or have very few people, quote unquote, under them at this point, what I would say is spend this time, use this time to begin learning to lead the person in the mirror. That will always, that person in the mirror will always be the most difficult person to lead. So start now, start working on that today. Don't wait. That is 
it's really great. I'm kind of I'm kind of in awe as you're starting to say this because I'm I'm finding myself even more grateful for choosing you as a guest, my first uh, my first uh, gentleman in the marketing industry. And you're not. I think this is one of those things that sets you apart. And I think that it can definitely be you can definitely see the character of somebody in the work that they do without it explicitly being written out. Um, because I may not have been able to put my finger on it of what exactly it was that made you stick out. And I, I, I kind of have something I'll touch on here in a minute that I know was now that I'm thinking about it, but you're, you're, you don't just do marketing, you know, as we're talking, one of the biggest topics that we're talking about is less marketing and more, uh, leadership quality. And it's, and it's a, it's a characteristic like that, that bleeds so well and so much into everything that you do and i think that can it, it just it expounds on so much more that's affected by what you do and I, I love i love that that's one of your one of your biggest um your biggest focuses in what you do i i appreciate you saying that you know at, at the end of the day it really doesn't matter what we do like what product or service or what thing we provide to the marketplace um all of that stuff it could be interchangeable right what matters to me is the organization, the, the culture of the organization that we have. And from very early on, my intention behind every single person that joined our team was this, that no matter how long they stayed, no matter, you know, if it was a few months or a few years or, or forever, right, that when they leave our organization, that they are a better human being than when they got here. So it's not just about, are they a better marketer? Are they a better web person? Are they a better leader, manager? All of that stuff, yeah, matters, right? We, we want to improve our skills and we work on improving our skills, but I want them to leave, having been here, a better version of themselves. And I have to always remind myself that, that the role that I'm in is very much like a personal trainer, right? So it's this whole idea that when we go to a personal trainer, the personal trainer, if they're good, they're going to push us until it hurts. They're going to make us do things we don't want to do, but we know they have our best interest at heart, right? We know that what they're after is results for us because that's what they do. And so the same, I think, is so true for, especially for small business owners. Like when we shift our mindset to that, that, that our role in the organization is to help our team members be the best versions of themselves at work, at home, across the board, it shifts. And one of the things that I think is so important, and it was a huge hangup for me for a long time, is this whole idea of, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to critique people. I don't want to push people too hard. I don't want to have too high of expectations. Um, but when I think about it from the perspective of the personal trainer, it, it just makes everything make more sense to me. It's like, okay, when they're hired, they understand that, that here are the expectations. They're high expectations you're going to be held to this standard. You're also going to be held to the standard of you're not going to leave here the same person as when you got here. So therefore you are giving me permission, just like you're going to give the personal trainer permission to push you, to challenge you, to call you out when you're not doing your burpees, <laughs> metaphorically, <laughs> the way you should be doing your burpees, right? Um, and I think for, for entrepreneurs, for business owners, we get hung up in this like mindset of, well, if I say that, I think I'm going to be offended. And, you know, we get too hung up in all the drama and mm -hmm. we lose sight on 
I need to push them. I need to challenge them. I also need to praise them, right? And being completely transparent, that's an area I struggle with. That is an, an, a point of intention for me. Um, I'm by nature, I can find a million things that's, that are, that's wrong with something versus the one or two that's great, right? And so I'm intentionally working on that to praise people when they do, quote unquote, the burpee, right? Or whatever, whatever it may be. When they do those things correctly, praise them just like a personal trainer would. No, I, I love it because another thing that you, that you pinpoint on that that's kind of being wrapped up in these, uh, in these different things that you're talking about is, uh, the attention to how you serve these people. And, and one of those qualities that you have to have as a leader is not only understanding that service is most important, but also realizing those who are leadable. And in, in, in from a from a coaching standpoint, as like a trainer, you would refer to that as somebody who is coachable. Is it somebody who is going to be open enough to receive constructive criticism? Also, someone who is going to be open enough and mature enough to receive praise without it all going to their head. Uh, so there's there's definitely a, a balance involved in there that I like that you point out. You cannot get hung up on a lot of the minute details of how you say what you say. Of course, there needs to be some attention there, of course, over time as you start to adapt and realize what works best. But there's also can't be too much, too much worry about offending someone because sometimes it just comes down to they are not, uh, they're not open enough to receive criticism and they're not, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, mature enough to receive praise without it building their ego. Yeah, no, both. I completely agree with both of those. That's absolutely spot on. Well, and I know service is a big thing for you because I've looked through your website and looked through several of the reviews that you've had on there. And one of the things that people say sticks out the most about your company, and it's not you, it surprised me because it's not, uh, you know, all oh, they have these, um, uh, amazing images and, and, and they're, they're, they're so captivating for our audience and, and they do so much in that terms. But one of the biggest things that they, that they pinpoint on is, is that your team provides them with such a, a detailed and informative uh, response, you know, whether they're leaving a meeting, they're leaving that meeting as informed, more informed than they thought that they probably would. They're receiving timelines, they're receiving uh, expectations, not only from you for them, but also expectations uh, from them for you and, and et cetera, and back and forth. Um, that is one thing that just really stood out to me. Your emphasis on making sure that your customers are thoroughly informed and thoroughly communicated with. Yeah, well, thank you for noticing because that is that is a very fundamental part of our culture. You know, one of our core values is to create remarkable experiences. And when most people hear that and most people think about that, they think about these grandiose big things. They think about, you know, surprising people for their birthday or, or whatever it may be. But we believe that the way that you create remarkable experiences is in doing things in an exceptional way. So when someone leaves the meeting or when someone shows up to the meeting, right? Look for ways to engineer little subtle things that make that experience truly remarkable. Um, one of the phrases that, that I say often is this, to succeed in business in America today has never been easier. If you simply do what you say you're gonna do, 
when you say you're going to do it, you will be successful. Now I can tell you, so Ugly Mug now is uh, 12 and a half years old. And I can tell you, we work with a lot of different people every single year. And the number of people that we work with who actually do what they say they're going to do when they say they're going to do it is a very, very small percentage. And it's sad. It's, re it's really sad. But when we start examining our own lives, so it goes back to the whole mirror thing. How many times do I say I'm going to do something and then A, don't do it, or then B, give a time that I'm going to do it by, but don't live up to that expectation, right? So that's a great litmus test. So if you're going to have a culture that exceeds expectations, you've got to, number one, figure out what is it that the person on the other end is expecting, right? What's expected in this relationship? And until you clearly define what's expected, you cannot exceed those expectations at all. So doing what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it is automatically in today's society a way to stand out from the competition. Tell them you're going to have a proposal by five o'clock on Wednesday, have it to them by five o'clock on Wednesday. Very, very basic, but sadly, so few companies, so few organizations actually keep their word today. I love that. I actually was, you saw me moving around. I was grabbing a sticky note because I wanted to write that down. I do a lot of, uh, I do a lot of self-analysis and that's something that I, I thoroughly enjoy doing and I believe in the importance of doing so. Um, and that's something that I don't analyze myself on. How many times am I living up to my word? Cause that's what it comes down to. It's, are you, are you, are you keeping your word on a regular consistent basis? So to do that, it's often difficult because what we can sometimes think we're capable of doing, we sometimes come up short. So what are some practical ways of keeping our words? I know the industry, the corporate world will oftentimes say, I believe it's under promise and over deliver. Is that, is it kind of a similar uh, practical step that you would say as well? Yeah, I, I would um, remind me, I'm going to, I'm going to give you something I want to come back and touch on. Let me answer this question first. I want to touch on integrity in just a second, but um, what I would say is that, you know, we always talk about providing superior service or exceeding customer expectations. And what we recommend people do is go through and ask yourself the simple question, what does a reasonable, per reasonable person have the right to expect when doing business with us. And you go through all the points of interaction. So for us, it's going to be different. So we're in a service-based business. So there's a lot of points along the way. And we have to ask, what do they expect when they call our office? What's a reasonable person expect? All right. So we answer that question. Then we go down, you know, so we go all the way down the list. When somebody emails us, what does a reasonable person expect? And then what we do is we, we, draw that down the middle of a sheet of paper. And then on the right-hand side of that, we would write, what is something in the same question? What is some way that we could exceed those expectations? So in other words, if someone calls our office and they expect that we're going to answer the phone within five rings. So exceeding expectations says we're going to answer it within two rings. Now I'm just making that up. Email, for example, what, what's the reasonable expectation? The reasonable expectation may be you get a response within 24 hours. Well, exceeding that says you're going to get a response within 12 hours. Now, here's the interesting thing. So that's very clear. That's very obvious. The next step in the exercise is this. On the left-hand side of that sheet of paper, write down what does it actually look like to 
not meet expectations. Because here's the truth. When you take the time to write those things down, very often what you will discover when you go back and analyze a recent interaction with a client or with a prospect, you will more than likely discover there are several of those areas where you are not meeting expectations when you are under delivering. And so that creates a little litmus test for meeting, exceeding, or under. And if you don't write out the under, your brain will by default assume that you're at least meeting until you write out in words, you know, exceeding, you know, under, um, under exceeding expectations or not meeting expectations for email would be taking longer than 24 hours to respond. So now I have a litmus test. Okay, let's pull up your inbox and let's see how long it took you to respond to these people, right? So it becomes a, a very simple litmus test for anybody, any situation you can create this sheet. I love that. I've, you saw me looking down several times while you're saying that I'm writing notes. I love that. Absolutely. That's really, really good. Um, now, I want you to go ahead and pick up where you said you wanted to, to go off was on integrity. What was it you wanted to talk about on that? Yeah. So, you know, this ties kind of back into what we were talking about just previously um, with doing what we say we're going to do when we say we're going to do it. You know, and, and integrity is a buzzword. It's it's a core value you'll see in you know pretty much every organization. Everyone says, you know, we have integrity. We believe in integrity. And what's funny is I believe this is true. Someone told me this, that um, Enron, integrity was one of their core values, right? And we all know what happened to Enron. They were cheating. They were stealing. They were covering up numbers. So clearly, just because you have something on paper doesn't mean it's lived out throughout the organization. But when we think about integrity, we think about integrity as a moral issue, right? We think about it as kind of a good or bad when we, when we think about integrity. And what I would challenge people to do is think about integrity differently. Think about it almost like a law of physics, like gravity. So integrity is a did or didn't, a yes or no. So when we have integrity, we either did or didn't do what we said we would do. We either fulfilled on the promise or we didn't. There's no room in that explanation for the excuses, right? There's no room in that explanation for, I didn't do it, but you see what happened was my kids got sick. My There's always those excuses, right? We always justify our actions with those excuses. And another phrase that I say often is, our excuses and our success are mutually exclusive. The more of one you have, the less of the other you're going to have. So make sure that you're not using excuses. And the simplest person or, or the easiest person to fool with your excuses is, again, the person in the mirror. We always want to give ourselves a pass. Mm. I love it. I love it. Have you ever done a TED talk before? <laughs> no. Do you have some connections? No, I wish I did. If I did, I would, I would be hooking you up immediately. No, I, I think you're, you're definitely a thought leader in the, in the realm of leadership. And it, uh, it just truly shows what leadership can do for a business and for a company uh, when that is the foundation of why you do what you do. And it definitely goes it goes deep. I love it. I love everything that I've been, uh, that we've been talking about here. And we've spent a lot of time on your character and how that displays in the company. I definitely want to make sure that we also touch a little bit on the practicality of marketing. Um, you know, as, as much as 
our listeners probably thought that's what they were going to to get out of this conversation. I'm glad that we were changed in that perspective. I'm glad that the main focus fell on uh, leadership, service to others, and uh, personal accountability. Those are so important. And I believe that with those three, um, someone who maybe can't afford uh, to have somebody do their marketing for them, someone who's probably just getting into uh, developing their own business and they're juggling so many things, that those are, those are some very key characteristics of, that they need to focus on rather than focusing on, okay, how am I going to, how am I going to make sure that this is structured and that this is set up and that I'm doing this correctly and that I'm doing that correctly? Because I think that's what a lot of people think they're going to get when they, when they think of a podcast of, okay, we're talking to a, a social media marketer, we're going to hear, okay, well, you need to position yourself this way in the market. And these are some of the things that you need to be doing on a regular basis in terms of, you know, what to post and how to post. And, and this is the colors and the imagery that people are looking at today. And the fact of the matter is, is those things are fluid. If I'm not mistaken, you can correct me if I'm wrong. That's, those are things that are going to change as the market and as generations evolve, but the things that stay the same are the characteristics of your ability to lead, uh, your ability to serve uh, selflessly, I might add, and uh, your ability to have personal, um, to, to have expectations of yourself. Yeah. Personal accountability. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. I, I agree. All of the, all of the other stuff is interchangeable, you know, kind of, as I said earlier, it doesn't matter what we sell. It doesn't matter if we're selling social media. It doesn't matter if we, we change tomorrow to sell t-shirts, right? It's what's at the core. It's what you stand for, what your people stand for and are you making progress, right? Are you serving other people? Um, I don't remember who said this. I want to say it may have been, um, uh, the name will come to me later, but he basically said that if you want to improve your business, here's the best way to ensure that you improve your business is to spend one hour a day in serious thought about how you can serve your customers better. And what I would say is that is absolutely true. That is not going to be a short game, right? That's a long game. You're not going to fix today's cash flow problems doing that. But what you're going to do is you're going to make the future that much easier. So I, I completely agree with you, Blake. It's, it's about service. Um, it's about exceeding those expectations. And it's about constantly making sure that you are staying one step ahead of your customers in terms of their wants, their needs, and their desires. Yeah, I love it. And it's, I, I'm very, I'm very just happy with the fact that we have you on and you have not tried to uh, pitch or sell our listeners anything about what you know about marketing. The entire time the discussion has been about what you know about how to run a successful business and those three core uh, attributes, characteristics that we talk about, that says a lot about the competition that you have. There's, there's, there's so many other uh, social media marketings and marketing uh, companies in general who will always default back to talking about what their strategy is in terms of how to, how to position themselves in the market and things like that. 
but your primary focus, and you have not mentioned once uh, within our conversation, has been uh, how you can be a better leader and how uh, those of us and those of our listeners can be better leaders and, and position themselves to do better. So I absolutely love that. With that being said, now I want to allow you the opportunity to tell us a little bit about the strategy involved in, in what you do. And we can take it from a look of just kind of starting from, um, from ground zero for somebody who is just getting started with building their own business and they're not sure where to start with marketing. What are some of your, your practical steps for things they need to look at, things they can start doing, et cetera? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so what I would say is, that to have a good conversation about marketing with anybody, we like to start with defining marketing. So what exactly is marketing? And what we know to be true after talking literally with hundreds, if not thousands of people about their marketing is this, most people confuse marketing and advertising. They use those words interchangeably. And the reality is that advertising is just one small piece or component of marketing. So the way we define marketing, and there's lots of great definitions of marketing, but the way we define it is simply this. Marketing is your ability to attract and to keep a customer. So it's the ability to attract them and the ability to keep them. And then what we like to then do is we ask people, we say, okay, when you look at your marketing budget, whatever the number is, if it's, you know, if it's $50 a month, $5,000 a month, whatever the number is, what percentage of your budget is going to attracting and what percentage of your budget is going to keeping? And here's the interesting, Blake, when we ask this question, the answer comes back, it's always 95 plus percent is going to attracting new customers. Now, we live in this world today where we all, if you survey tens of thousands of business owners and you say, where do your best customers come from? The answer is going to be their referrals. They come from word of mouth, a friend, their family member, et cetera, tells somebody else. They come buy our product, they come purchase our service, whatever it may be. We all know that to be true. And yet we're investing the bulk of our, our money, our budget, trying to attract new people out here in the world, people who don't know about us. We're trying to convince them to know us, to like us, to trust us. And so one of the places we love to start is we love to start shifting people's mindset or their, their focus from, you've got to have some more allocation to keeping customers. Because as I said earlier, every single person today is their own media company, right? They can upload a video to YouTube. They can make a Facebook post. They can do Twitter, the bazillion different platforms that are available. They can broadcast a message out to the world about my product, my service, your product, your service. And when we exceed expectations and we are intentional about exceeding those expectations, we can create what we would call evangelist. An evangelist is someone who simply goes out and shares your message about your company, your product, your service with the world. And so the question is, what percentage of your budget is actually going to creating evangelist? And so we look at beginning to shift that conversation, to be beginning to shift that mindset around always having to attract, attract, attract new people and instead nurture, nurture, nurture the existing people. That sort of makes sense? No, that makes perfect sense. I, I think I've actually, who was it? I don't even know who it was. I think it was Brendan Burchard or something like that, that I was reading something about what, what he does. And there's a, there's a mention of your, what do they call them? Not your, it's like your, your biggest fans basically. And, and 
capitalizing on what they are willing to do for you uh, because there's a lot that they're willing to do for you. They've obviously bought into what it is that you do and what you stand for. And that's, there's definitely power in that for sure. And you're right. I've, it's rare that I've heard anything mentioned about that. It's always, you know, what is the best number of times to post per day? And, you know, what are the best times a day to post? What kind of stuff should you be posting? Things like that. Yeah. And, and I can certainly touch on those things, but what's more important is the framework the framework underneath all of these things. And that's what we spent so much of the initial part of this conversation about. You know, the way I view it is this, um, in, in business, what sells or what's really sexy right now on podcast would be the tactics, you know, the latest, greatest, you know, here's how to grow your Instagram following by 20,000 followers overnight. Um, here's the tactics we're doing, using to get that. Well, the, the sad thing is when we start chasing tactics, the tactics change every single week, every single month, whatever the time period is, because we live in a very fast-paced world. There's always a new app. There's always something coming down the pipe next, right, that we need to learn about the new tactics. Well, below that, you have strategy, right? So tactics up here, right below that, you have strategy. And then below that is what I would call the frameworks. The frameworks, if you to use an analogy, you think about a train, on tracks. The framework is the actual tracks. The strategy would be the type of locomotive, the type of train sitting on those tracks. So are you pulling a heavy load? Okay, then you may need big diesel engines. Are you, you know, again, if, if speed train carrying people in, in Japan back and forth on the bullet trains, that's a different engine. Then the tactics become, how do we operate this engine? How do we run the, the, the train itself? And so we really love to start with people on the frameworks of their mindset around marketing and begin working to shift their mindsets around that. Because once you get the frameworks right, you can change out the train. You can change out the strategies. And then depending on the strategy you choose, you can then choose and adapt the tactics based on the strategy and based on that framework. But if you're trying to apply tactics to the wrong strategy, into the Rome framework, you're going to be met with nothing but frustration. And here's a litmus test to determine if you're doing that. The way that you know that you're pursuing tactics and you don't have the right strategy nor the right framework is this. You feel like you're doing lots of actions around marketing, but you're not seeing any progress. That's an indication that you're jumping from what we would say, magic bullet to magic bullet, right? The next big thing to the next big thing. And so you need to stop what you're doing, look at what's the strategy you're actually following, and then make sure that it's built on the right framework. Mm. I like that. I like that a lot. And I know that one of the biggest struggles that most people have is identifying their audience and identifying their customers. What are some tips that you have in terms of making sure, because I guess that would kind of fall on to part of the framework, wouldn't it? it or, or maybe that's part of the strategy in that terms of identifying your customer. What's a great way to, for us to do that and make sure that we're actually focused on the right customer? Yeah. So again, there's, there's a lot of different ways to identify the customer itself. But when you begin, whatever it is, the product, the service, the business that you're in, hopefully you began that with a customer in mind, right? You built the thing, you created the product, you created the service based on a specific customer that you thought that would serve well. Mm -hmm. So 
one assumption is, you know, we've got to assume that you made the right decision early on. You know, so if we use marketing, for example, um, we could assume that our market is, is for nonprofits. Well, later on, we may discover that it's actually for for-profit organizations, right? So we were off on the market itself. But what happens is you have to first get in the game to determine that, right? So if you're not in the game, you're never going to be able to fine tune that. The mistake is if you're so, um, you know, focused on that one thing and that market is rejecting what it is that you're offering, then you need to be willing to let go of the baby, so to speak, let go of what you poured your time, energy, and effort into and say, well, what if this could serve somewhere else just as well? Now, to, to get a little bit more specific, when you think about marketing, there's really three core components. The, the first component would be the market itself. So getting crystal clear about your market. And what I mean by that is once you've identified the market, let's just say it's nonprofits, um, whose organizations are between you know 20 to 30 people. Again, I'm just making this up, but you then want to build out what we would call a customer avatar. You want to know everything possible about these people. Um, you know, are they married? Where do they live? What type of vehicles do they drive? What are their hobbies? Um, what TV shows do they watch? What magazines? You want to go down the list. You want to build out this profile about your ideal customer within that market that you've identified. It's only then can you say what media or what you know medium do we want to pursue to reach that audience? Mm -hmm. And what happens often is we flip those backwards. We say everyone's doing Facebook or everyone's doing TikTok or everyone's doing whatever it is. And so we think, okay, well, we got to figure out how to do that. And instead we have to start with the market. We have to understand where are they showing up? Where are they going to be so that we can put our message in front of them? So don't put the, the cart before the horse, so to speak, right? Right. Get clear about the market, then figure out how you're going to put your messaging in front of them. Don't flip those the opposite way. And the other component I'll just mention is just the messaging itself. You can't write effective messaging without clearly understanding the pain points, the desires, the all these other elements of your market. And let me take this one step further just to say this, that when you think about your market, the people that you're going to serve, you should know them so well that you could write a page from their personal journal. Mm. So what I mean by that is if they woke up in the morning, they, they wander over to their desk and they look down at their journal page and for some magical reason it's already written, it should make sense to them. It should, it should be, how in the world did someone know this about me? How in the world did they understand my frustrations? How in the world did they know my desires? That's how well you've got to know your market. And it's not easy to do. It takes time. It takes energy. And it takes a lot of effort to do that. But when you do that, then you can exceed expectations. Then you can serve them like no one else can. And then you will be successful in all your marketing efforts. I love it. I love it. And you're, you're such a wealth of knowledge. We are at the pretty much end of our time that we've got here. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to take up any more of your time. I know you're a busy man, but I definitely will be circling back with you at a later date and time to uh, possibly have you back on the show again. I think there's a lot to be said um, about, what you what you know 
what you carry about yourself and what you believe to be true about uh, business marketing, uh, leadership, and all of the above. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation today, and I think you have even more that we can learn from. And uh, it's it's rare that I get an opportunity to say something like that. Um, a lot of times, everyone has their stuff packaged in one in one little deal, and they can get pretty much everything out all in one spiel. But those who have such a wealth of knowledge that we just can't get it all in one hour slot, I I thoroughly enjoy spending time uh, with those individuals, and you are one. Uh, Wayne. So I'm thankful to have you on the show today. Before we sign off, would you like to tell everybody where they can keep up with what uh, Ugly Mug Marketing has going on and, and where they can look into the things that you guys have to offer? Yeah, absolutely, Blake. First of all, thank you so much for the kind words. I, I really do genuinely appreciate that. Um, the simplest place or the easiest place to go is just our website, uglymugmarketing.com. Um, my email address is there, our phone number is there, all our social media channels are there. Um, and, you know, just kind of as I conclude, the, the final thought that I would love to leave everybody with is this, consistency creates miracles. So whether that's in your personal life, whether that's in your business life, whether that's in your family life, um, spiritual life, it doesn't matter. Consistency will create miracles. But we, the person in the mirror looking back at us, have to be willing to be consistent in both our attitudes and our actions every single day. I love it. I absolutely love it. I actually say consistency equals influence. Um, uh, yours, yours using the word miracles has such a broader impact to it, and I love it. Um, so I might, I might take a little bit of that as well. But great, great, amazing uh, ending words, Wayne. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Blake. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Wayne Mullins. Now, how awesome is it that we can meet an individual with a with an idea of what our conversation might be like? Because I have to be honest, a lot of times when I have guests on the show, I usually expect them to pitch their business a lot. And it really says something for an individual to come on this show and not say a single word about his business the entire time without me actually kind of prodding to get some of that information. Not not really prodding, but you know what I mean, like really really trying to hone in on, on some questions regarding the business. When the majority of Wayne's conversation, all of it stemmed from his own desire to talk about the foundations within Ugly Mug Marketing and the foundations of how leadership works, the foundations of responsibility of ourselves, ourselves as leaders, how we hold ourselves accountable, how we show up every single day, those are, those are foundations that I love to talk about. And I'm, I, I love that I found Wayne and, and Ugly Mug Marketing. That It's just, again, I already mentioned it at the beginning of the podcast, but it's, uh, it just becomes more apparent. When you have these foundational principles at the top of your mind, everything you do just emits excellence and you stand out from the crowd when you genuinely just project these types of things into everything that you do when you project good leadership when you project good self accountability when you've when you've looked at yourself and made a analysis of how well you're doing in life and then you've made steps practices incorporated large chunks of your lives toward becoming a better person, a better human being, and then not only just making yourself better, but making the people around you 
better, doing anything that you can to serve and lead with integrity, uh, you know, with passion, it shows up in everything that you do. So there are some foundational things that I believe we can all get really good at that will help us be really good at everything else we want to be really good at. So without being any more redundant, I want to thank you all for listening to another episode of Peace with the Process. If you enjoyed today's episode, do me a favor, head over to Facebook or Instagram and comment on today's teaser post that I put out there and tell me what it is you enjoyed about today's episode. Now, if you're looking for more Peace with the Process, you're looking for more episodes, obviously, you're already in the you're already in the right place for more episodes, but maybe you want a little bit more resources from each of our guests, you can head over to peacewiththeprocess.com. I actually have a resources page you can check out, and you can also get access to what I call our insider's access emails. You can sign up to receive everything about today's episode. Well, not today's if you haven't already signed up. You missed it, but you can sign up today and get next week's episode, all the details, uh, what we talk about on today's episode, what we don't talk about on that day's episode. And any opportunities for gifts, promos, giveaways, etc., all emailed right to your inbox. And you've got all the links and everything you need to check out the guests of that week and dive deeper into them. So if somebody catches your interest, all you got to do is open up your email and you've got everything you need to look into what they've got going on today. So thank you all again, and I will see you next time on the next episode of Peace with the Process.